Lord, we love you, and we thank you for today, and thank you for life and life abundantly. Lord, I thank you for these ladies. I pray that the words that we share and we speak would be edifying to you, encouraging to us, a blessing to us. Um, they would strive us to be all that you'd want us to be, Father God, and that um, our lives would be reflections of Christ, and that we would live um, all out and full out and um, in full faith of who you are and what you'd have us to do in our lives, Father God. I just pray for just the, the um, individual needs that we have, challenges, difficulties that we encounter, and I pray that you would um, just minister to us in that. We thank you that we can be assured that you are accomplishing what concerns us, and so, Lord, we're grateful for that. Lord, just bless our time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Uh, last week we uh, started talking about uh, how to love your husband. And, um, and so we're going to finish that up today. You know, I feel, um, I talked, it, it came, it wasn't, my, wasn't the purpose of my talks this weekend, but it came up as we were talking about values with this, the group, the ladies this weekend. And, um, and even, um, uh, Ellen Holman, who, um, comes in here pretty regularly, she's out of town right now. You know, she's, as a single woman, she's like, we need to hear about how to love your husband. And I think so much of this, sometimes we need to teach this before we get married. Because it's like, hey, you know what, you don't even know what you're getting into. Let's full disclosure here, you know. And as I shared before, you know, we often just want a wedding and not a marriage and and what it looks like. And so um, I love uh, that we've got three single girls and a married girl in here. And so um, we'll go from there because it's hard. Marriage is hard. And if with everything perfect, marriage is hard. Because it's all about dying to self all the time, you know. And um, so so we're going to jump right into that. We'll go through. We'll fill in the blanks that you guys have. You don't have. You guys don't have any blanks. Okay, good. Good. I don't have any old blanks that we need to review and go back to. What, um, I can't remember where we stopped. So since only Jennifer's heard it again, I'm going to read through the, script, the scripture again, and then we'll fly through those top points. Oh, that's me. Yeah, go to this one. Let's go to this one. Go to the part two. Okay. I wanted to have part the part one because it's um, actually go back to part one because I'm going to be reading the amplified that's printed out on the second page because since it's so much wordier in that place. So let's just read through this. And this is in First Peter chapter two, eighteen through um, three through six. You who are household servants, be submissive to your masters with all proper respect. Not only to those who are kind and considerate and reasonable, but also to those who are surly, overbearing, unjust, and crooked. Let me jump down just for a second. If you jump down to 1 Peter 3, verse 1, it says, In like manner, you married women. So we're reading these two chapters, I mean, these two paragraphs up here, because it's saying, well, what like manner? Okay, we'll go back up to the top, in like manner. Um, for one is regarded favorably as approved, acceptable, and thankworthy, if... As in the sight of God, he or she endures the pain of unjust suffering. After all, what kind of glory is there in it if when you do wrong and are punished for it, you take it patiently? But if you bear patiently with suffering, which results when you do right, and that is undeserved, it's acceptable and pleasing to God. For even of this you were called, it is inseparable from your vocation. For Christ also suffered for you. Good morning. Hey, Wendy, how are you? I've just decided I have the cutest class. You girls are all so cute. 
You might have had this one from last week, but I'm reading page mm -hmm. two, and then um, I'm just going through the scripture again. Um, all right, for Christ also suffered for you, leaving you his personal example so that you should follow in his footsteps. He was guilty of no sin, neither was deceit, guile ever found on his lips. When he was reviled and insulted, he did not revile or offer insult in return. When he was abused and suffered, he made no threats of vengeance, but he trusted himself. This is so key. He entrusted himself and everything to him who judges fairly. Donna's like, come on, I've heard this before. <laughs> he personally bore our sins in his own body on the tree as an altar and offered himself on it that we might die, cease to exist, to sin, and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were going astray like so many sheep, but now you've come back to the shepherd and guardian, the bishop of your souls, in like manner. So all those things, not reviling back, not insulting back, you know, when, if you get, you get offended, you bless back, Hey, Betty, how are you? Hi. It is Betty, right? Yes. Come on in. So all those things, as being a household servant, that if you get reviled, you're not supposed to rile back. You insult, you're not supposed to insult back. If you've been accused in, in, incorrectly, you just need to bear it patiently. I mean, that doesn't mean you're a doormat. That doesn't mean you just fall over because there is courses of appeals that are available. But, but once the course of appeal comes, then you just, I mean, that's what it says. I'm just reading this. I wonder sometimes did anybody proof this before it came out. I'm, you know, I'm just reading. In like manner, you married women, be submissive to your own husbands. Subordinate yourself as being secondary to and dependent on them and adapt yourselves to them. So that even if they do not obey the word of God, they may be won over not by discussion, but by the godly lives of their, lives of their wives when they observe the pure and modest way in which you conduct yourself. Together with your reverence for your husband, you are to feel for him all that reverence includes, to respect, defer to, revere him, to honor, esteem, appreciate, prize, and in the human sense to adore him, that is to admire, praise, be devoted to, Deeply love and enjoy your husband. Let not yours be the merely external adorning with elaborate interweaving and knotting of the hair, the wearing of jewelry, or the changes of clothes, but let it be the inward adorning and beauty of the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible and unfeigning charm of a gentle and peaceful spirit, which is not anxious or wrought up, but is very precious in the sight of God. For it is thus that the pious women of old who hoped in God were accustomed to beautifying themselves and were submissive to their husbands, adapting themselves to them as themselves secondary and dependent upon them. It was thus that Sarah obeyed Abraham, following his guidance and acknowledging his headship over her by calling him Lord, Master, Leader, Authority. And you are now her true daughters if you do right and let nothing terrify you, not giving way to hysterical fears or let anxieties unnerve you. Wow. That is a huge charge that we're given as women to do, um, as wives to do, and to walk that out and live that out. I mean, people do often say to me, Becky, why are you married? It's like, because I've read First Peter 2 and 3. I mean, <laughs> I see what this calling is, you know, and there's not anybody that I've, you know, it's not like I'm beating them away at the door either, but, you know, that I'd be willing to bow the knee in, in such a way, um, and, uh, and I believe there is, but... Um, but on the other side, marriage is a fantastic thing that God created, and it's to reflect Christ in the church and how the church is to respond to Christ and how Christ is supposed to respond 
back to the church. And um, that is what he's chosen to reflect that. And so some of the things of how we, um, going back to the, the part two thing that we're going to fill out today, we'll, we'll go through some of the, I think we did about half of these. I can't remember how far we got down. I didn't mark them, but um, the first thing we need to do is bear patiently with suffering. Bear patiently with suffering. And that can apply to us today whether or not, you know, we're married or not. You know, the difficulties in your life, whether it's at school, I mean, at, at school, well, Jennifer's at school, but she's not in school, but at work, whether it's with family members, to patiently bear with those sufferings that come along in our way. The second thing is do not return insult with insult. And that is a um, hard, hard thing to do, but just not hitting that tennis ball back. Just stop. Somebody be the adult to stop the fighting, you know? And it is, um, you know, it's, it's that the need to want to get the last word in. And I need to do that in anything, not marriage or not a marriage. I need to make sure I get that, you know, that last dig and, you know, don't. Just die to self about that. The third point, too, is to entrust yourself to the one who is faithful. And that is, um, I mean, that's really the heart of what it is. You're entrusting the one to, your, to the one who's faithful. And that's when you're saying, because it talks about earlier in the chapter, it says your, your fears are wrought up, you're anxious, you're nervous, you know, all these things are going on, and, and it really comes down to, you know, you just need to entrust yourself to him who's faithful. God, you will provide. I mean, I'm having to, I mean, I'm having to walk that out right now. When I quit my job, my last day was Wednesday. I don't have another job. I don't have another real job lined up. Um, I've signed my, I feel like the Lord's calling me to start a nonprofit consulting business, which is scary. And, um, but I got my first engagement, booked it yesterday. I make no money pretty much for the next 90 days. But, you know, I need that first one in. I need something under the belt to talk through it and, and, and to work with it and have that example and learn how what it is. And so I'm having to, uh, this verse right here, entrusting myself to him is faithful. Every, I'm having to wake up every morning and say, Lord, I want to entrust myself to you who's faithful. You will meet my needs. You will provide. You know, I'm con- I mean, it is such a constant checking in because in my flesh, I'm a doer. I'm a getter done. I make the list. I'm a planner. I can accomplish. I can do this. I can do it. And the Lord's like, I don't want you to do it. You know, I want you to be patient and trust me in this process of going through. And um, I haven't missed a meal. I still got another check coming in. You know, the Lord's taught me to live frugally and, and debt-free. And so... I have the ability to do this for a season, and, and, you know, let's go for it. I mean, what the heck, let's go for it. But it is interesting. It is, I wake up scared, you know, and I go to bed scared. But I have friends that encourage me, and I do it afraid. I mean, we do it afraid. And, um, and then trust ourselves to the one who is faithful. And my, you know, and I, as I counsel with, um, with women who are married, and they might be married to guys who are, are not wise or foolish or or challenging or difficult, and, you know, I might play the tape to the end, you know, you've got to entrust yourself to him who's faithful. Because we know if you don't, if you send, if you turn insult, if you don't bear up, if you don't submit, God can't bless that. Because he's telling us what we're supposed to do. Tell us what we're supposed to do. You know, but on the same side, if it's illegal or immoral, then we deal with that, and there's other courses of action on those kind of things. Um, and that gets back to submit to your husband. And if you agree with your husband, that's agreement. That's not submission. Submission is when you submit, even when you might necessarily disagree with what they had to say. And then the real key is when you disagree, and he doesn't know you disagree. (laughs) 
And then it, 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 you know, because when we submit to our husband, then it gets us out of the way for God to do what he needs to do in that man's life. And that's a big part of what it is. Tony Evans says, when you submit to your husband, duck, because the, the two-by-four is going to be coming <laughs> along the way, along the way. And in that, then you tattle to Jesus. You know, that going back to entrusting yourself to him as faithful. Tattle to Jesus. You know? What, you know, the roof is linking. The doorknob is falling off. The, you know, I don't have grocery. I don't have money for groceries next week. And the Lord's saying, you've got groceries. you got money for groceries this week. Daily provision. Daily provision. And tell, don't tattle to your girlfriend. Don't tattle to, you know, him. Don't nag him. Um, that never works. Um, and the next point is reverence your husband. I remember as I've worked with women, and it says in, at the end of, um, I don't have my verse numbers in here, but it's the first paragraph in, in that First Peter 3, where it says, for your, you're supposed to, together with your reverence for your husband, you're to feel for him all that reverence includes, to respect, defer, to honor, esteem, prize, to adore him, praise him, be devoted to him, deeply love, and enjoy your husband. All that that in, entails, and I can remember... I mean, often sharing with women and sharing this verse with them, and they're like, "I can never ever feel that way toward my husband." And um, and the, and this is a good word for us in anything because I think for me personally, it's hard for me to love the unlovely. It's hard for everybody to love the unlovely. It's hard for me to love the unlovely. And so the only way I can do it is start acting like I want to feel. So we just start. So with the women I, t- I I mentor, I just say, "Look, start prizing him. Start esteeming him. Start appreciating him. Start praising him." People say, well, you're being hypocritical. And it's like, no, you're not. You know? You're not. Just start doing those things and your feelings will follow. Donna, is that true? And just even a little bit? Absolutely. I mean, I've been working with Donna two months, uh-huh. you know, and she did, by not, she did not like this when I read it to her. Two months I think ago. the best thing you did was said, make a list. Yeah. I'm like, I had to make a list. She's like, think of 30 things. Just think of them. Write them out and think of them. That was fairly easy, nice things I could do for him. She's not doing them. <laughs> so once I started doing them and crossing them off, you know, it was just something I had to do, and then it just kind of worked from there. My feelings started going. And I was the one getting excited by it, whether he got excited by not or not, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It, it, I love him more now than I, or feel that I love him more now than I did two months ago. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. wow. I mean, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't see smile on my face I know. Ago. I know. Things are really good. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? <laughs> has any circumstances have not changed. Exactly. Not even one little bit. <laughs> not even kind of kind of <laughs> gotten better. And they might have some kinds <laughs> no, gotten worse, right? Yeah. yeah. But yeah. But I mean, your, 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 your feelings 90, time, 90% of the time will always follow your actions. Mm-hmm. And, but if you, your actions, you know, often won't follow, you know, follow your feelings on that. So, so that's we're supposed to reverence our husband. And then this would be very difficult for me, but I try and do it. I apply a lot of these things to my bosses because I was a when I had when I worked for the nonprofit, I had a whole I had fourteen bosses. So I apply a lot of these things to my bosses. And having a gentle and quiet spirit was probably the hardest thing for me to do was to walk in a gentle and quiet spirit. And I that is not being a doormat. That's not just laying down and saying, okay, honey, whatever it is, that's not what it is. That's not at all what it is. There's always course of appeal. But on the same side, I don't need to be, I need a gentle and quiet spirit. A gentle and quiet spirit. 
And then finally, and this is kind of scary when we think about this, the example, the only matriarchic example that the Lord uh, gave wives to be was Sarah, Abraham's wife. And let me just read one little thing that her husband did. Because he, you know, I mean, can you imagine your husband walking in the door and saying, pack up the bags, we're moving. Okay, honey, where are we going? Well, I don't really know where. Well, um, why are we doing it? Well, God told me to do this. Okay. And she packed up her bags and she moved. Um, Abraham called the name of his son who was born. Oh, wait, wrong chapter. 20. Chapter 20, verse 3 through 7 says, Genesis. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you're a dead man because of the woman who you take him for. She is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent man? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister, and she herself said, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you've done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return to her, know that you shall surely die, and all who are yours. Abraham put Sarah in a harem twice. Twice. And she did it. And she didn't go to him and say, didn't go to the king and say, this is not really my brother. I mean, it was, but, you know, this isn't really my brother. This is my husband. I mean, she entrusted himself to him as faithful. And you know what? The Lord protected her. Abimelech did not have sex with her. Which is kind of amazing, really, if you think about it. You know, new one in the harem, you think that they would be first in line kind of thing. God protected her in the midst of all that. And then blessed the family significantly both times that it happened. Unfortunately, as Pastor pointed out a couple of weeks ago, it looks like Hagar, the Egyptian slave, probably came from one of these incidences where he was put in a harem. But that is the example that's set before us to say, look, here it is. And you're going to have to entrust yourself to him as faithful. Now, girls, use the... If you, those that are married and, you know, those that will be married, if your husband calls and said, you want to put me in, he want, if you call me and say, my husband wants to put me in a harem, I probably would, you know, say, well, just do like Sarah, you know, I probably would not do that, because mm-hmm. I think that's probably immoral a little bit here, and, um, but, but that is what Sarah is the example that set up for Sarah to follow after, and to call them more to master, and, um, and it, you know, scary to have that as the example, scary to have that as the standard. Um, but on the same side, we can see God's faithfulness in the midst of that, that he protected her. Donna? Can I give praise? Sure. Praise? This happened like two years ago when my, my husband's problems really began. He lost his whole business and finances just got horrible. And he put us in a very, he put me particularly, in a very compromising position. I mean, just I'm not going to give it any kind of justice or whatever, but it was a very, very bad position he put me in. And it was not at all the way somebody should be treated. And so I just gave up. I took my Bible, and I told God I'm leaving him. And I took my Bible, and I went to this park where I used to always go back home where Becky's from, too. And I sat on the park bench where God and I would always talk. I said, give me one reason why I should stay, and I'll stay. But you know what he has done, and I'm not going to do this. And he led me here. You ought to be like Sarah. (laughs) And he told me that I am to stay. And I said, Lord. How am I going to stay in this marriage? And he said, you take, you stay. I want you to stay, and I'll take care of everything. And he did. So I stayed. 
And I'm telling you, within like a month, everything was put back together in this one particular situation that only God could handle. Mm -hmm. Only God could have done. He mm -hmm. brought the people. He did everything. And I had my hands off of it. Kenny had his hands off of it. God fixed it because I stayed. Mm -hmm. I Amen. Stayed. So it was pretty cool. Amen. But it's still not easy. <laughs> it's not, no, it's not easy, and it's still difficult, and it's all that, but our God is such a big God, and he loves marriages. He wants them to be successful. He, I mean, how many years are you and Kenny be married now? Seven? Seven and a half. Seven and a half years. Okay, so seven and a half years, Donna's done it Donna's way for most of the time. Past 60 days, she's been really working on trying to do it God's way, and God, I mean, it didn't take seven and a half years to get back to where, you know, to what it was. He just wants us just to meet him. A little bit, part of the way that comes in and along that way in those marriages. Um, but with marriages, there are some drawbacks. Um, like I said, you know, I think it's such a great line. We want weddings, we don't want marriages. You know, girls just want to have this fun fairy tale and we forget what it is. There are some troubles with this. And often I use these when I am going through, because I do. I would love to be married. Honestly, I would, I would love to be married. Because I think marriage is an awesome, awesome thing. I think it's a great example, done right, of what Christ is to the church and what covenant's about and self-sacrifice and all those kind of things. And it's, you know, you're more powerful too, is more powerful than one, and you get a third one in there, you know, you're unbreakable. I mean, I would love to be married. Often when I struggle with, I'm going through those times of, hey, I wish I was to be married. The Lord's gracious now. I don't go through loneliness, loneliness like I used to. Um, because he's always with me, but I still just want to be married. These are one of the, these are the three verses that I really hit on a whole lot. Number one, instead of pleasing the Lord, your focus will be pleasing your husband. Instead of pleasing the Lord, your focus will be pleasing the husband. First Corinthians chapter seven, which is all these are coming from. First Corinthians chapter seven. First Corinthians chapter seven is all about um, about marriage. Paul is talking to the church at Corinth in um, verses seven thirty-two through. 34, it says, um, I want you to be free from the anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly affairs, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about the worldly things, how to please her husband. Paul's not saying that's wrong. He's just saying that's just the way it is. Once I'm married, if I want to please my Lord, I please my husband. And that's the pathway that has to be, that has to be the focus because that becomes my number one calling. Because if I'm married, my job is to be my husband's helpmate. That's my number one calling. And so my focus, that doesn't mean you're not doing godly things. That doesn't mean you're not serving the Lord and you're involved in those kind of things. And obviously your relationship with the Lord has to be strong in that. But your focus is, you're distracted. I am not distracted. I have nothing to, I mean, and that's in some ways, it's, it's, I mean, where I am right now, it's kind of bad because I have no restrictions. I have no restrictions. Do I pack up my bag and I move back to Atlanta, you know, sell my townhouse? Okay, sure. There's nothing that keeps me here. There's no, like, there's not even, like, let the kids get out of school kind of thing. You know, do I pack my bag and go minister in Africa? I mean, you know, do I pack my bag and... Go live in a friend's basement and, you know, write a book and figure out how to get on the speaker circuit? I mean, you know, is that what I do? I mean, I have no restrictions, you know, which is really great 99% of the time. <laughs> it's really, 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 really good about 99.9% .9 of the time. I, you know, if I want to buy something, I can just go buy it. 
I don't have to ask anybody except the Lord. Do I want, you know, and he's pretty much, sure, get it. You got the money, go buy it. You know, I don't have to do that. It's great. But sometimes when it's really hard decisions and really big decisions that need to be made, sometimes it'd be great if it was at least like two of us that kind of walked through this together. And even sometimes it got to the point where you just decide. I mean, even little things. I mean, this is it's a little thing compared to like life change things. But like the catalytic converter is out of my car, $2,500 to fix it. You know, I don't have, it doesn't have to be fixed until August when I'm supposed to pass the test. But, you know, but I've got 125,000 miles on my car, you know, but it runs good and I like it and it looks cute. You know, so do I put the $2,500 into the car, you know, or do I sell the car and, you know, buy another car? I mean, so that would not be a decision that I would have to make if I was married to a man. <laughs> that would be his decision to make. But anyways, but, but it is, your focus will change and my focus will, will change. Um, this is interesting, 1 Corinthians 7, 27 and 28. Listen to what Paul says. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I want to spare you. If you get married, you will have troubles. I mean, if you stay single, you have troubles. You know, I think sometimes we think that if we got married, I wouldn't have any troubles. No, you just have different troubles. <laughs> and now you've got troubles with someone else. That's sleeping with you every night. I mean, you, you still have troubles. You know, and I, I often in my single ones, I think, well, if I just got married, everything, you know, we think that it would all be better. No, we just have different troubles. You just have different troubles. And you have all those friends that don't tally the problems, they tally the girlfriends, so you really yeah. get a good... Yeah, <laughs> you really, you do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you, you, you hear all that is, and you really, that's, I know the trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Susie just told me about the trouble that's going on over there. And it's all the same stuff. It, it's... Um, all the same. Yeah, it's pretty much the same issues for everybody. Just different seasons. Yep, yeah, yep, exactly. There's troubles. There's troubles. So, and then finally, um, uh, this is from 1 Corinthians 7, 4, and 5. You don't have authority over your body. You don't have authority over your body. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body. But the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourself to prayer. But then come together again as Satan might not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. The issue of sex and a marriage is 60-70% of the huge, most problems in marriages, at least that personally I've that encountered and I've spoken to. Because for whatever reason, and I think part of it's the curse, when you get, life starts happening. And especially for women, their desire for sex is not at the same level that it is for men. We're created different. It's just how we're created. And women, men can segment so much better. They can put things in boxes. And, and you know, they just look for physical satisfaction nine times out of ten in a sexual relation. Women are looking for deep emotional needs to be met during a sexual relationship. You know, and so for us, we got all that going in there. And when you're married, what the Bible says, when you're married and if your husband comes to you and says, honey, I, you know, snuggles up to you in the bed and you're thinking, okay, he really wants to have sex, unless you can convince him to pray. 
mean, if somehow you guys can, you know, say, oh, honey, I want you so much, but look, can we just pray right now? <laughs> yeah, we got to say yes. <laughs> and I mean, it doesn't work now. <laughs> we haven't been able to get any prayer. Not much quiet time happening, has it? You know, I mean, it just is. And what's so, and this is, it's funny because I, I got onto this topic yesterday when I was speaking to the ladies in Tennessee. And I said, ladies, ladies, because 90% of the ladies over there were married. Ladies, I mean, 10 minutes. I mean, what are we, I mean, you don't have 10 minutes in your schedule. You know? I mean, because there's what, this is what is, this is what happens. And I think this is a whole nother issue. And this is just Becky's personal opinion, which I value highly. But, um, you know, before marriage, and let's just say there was not, you know, there was no fornication. We walked in purity and, you know, all that, you know, wonderful thing. And um, that man sees this hottie and thinks, this woman is going to meet my sexual needs for the rest of my life. And I'm going to marry her. And this is a good thing. And the Lord thinks it's a good thing. And most of the time, you know, hopefully, we're thinking it's a good thing, too, as women. This is great. Wonderful. You know, I have a man to meet my sexual needs. And then one week, one month, one year, one decade into the relationship, all of, into the marriage, all of a sudden it's not quite so important to her. And he's gotten to the point where he has to beg for sex. And he looks down the corridor of life in the next 20, 30, 40 years, and thinks, I'm going to have to beg to get my sexual needs met. And it deflates him. It belittles him. It demeans him. Because he's thinking, I can't, even, I can't even get her to have sex with me. I mean, I'm not the man. I don't have what it takes. I'm not the man. It beats him up. But you know what? He will, nine times out of ten, get it from somewhere. And whether that's pornography, or whether that's an adulterous relationship, or whether he packs up his bag and he leaves. And that, I think, so often is what's the problem. And I, I mean, I'll tell you. I mean, I, I think I, I blame a lot of the issues in, in the church, the capital C church. And we see a lot of women serving the Lord, but we don't see a lot of men, as many men serving the Lord. I think a lot of that is because we've belittled them so often. In that one area, which is a huge, huge, huge area to men. Huge area to men. And, I, and no, it makes no sense to us. But they don't understand half the things that we do either. It's just that we're different. And so take that time. Be intentional. You know. But you know what? That's one reason why I realized when I get married, man, that, I know I would have a huge problem with that. I personally know that I would have a huge problem. Because I, I love sleep. You know? <laughs> you know? And if in the middle of the night he wakes me up, you know? I'm just thinking. So. Marriage does have drawbacks. Marriage does have drawbacks. So, anyways, I want to take just a little bit of time because I think this is important. We can um, um, blow through this. Just how to make some things right. I think this is true about anything. We can apply this to a lot of different things. All these verses in Proverbs, you know how I love Proverbs. Number one is we need to realize that things won't change overnight. Things won't just change overnight. This is a, a, a great proverb. Let me get to it. Proverbs 18, 19. I can tell you what it is. A brother offended is harder to be won over than a fortified city. A brother offended is harder to be... It's actually in the ESV. It says a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. When we've offended somebody, and especially if we, the offense has gone on for a long time, 
Um, walls build up, and they become the fortified city. We do it, don't we? You know, we had the girlfriend that's like, you know, belittled us, belittled us, belittled us, you know, or whatever. We pulled up walls. It's like, you know what? She calls, and it's like, I don't want to take that call right now, you know? And, um, or with parents, or with siblings, or whatever it is. You know, we all put our own walls up on that. And so if you've been offended, it's hard to win that person back. It takes time, and it's not just going to be a one pick up the phone call and make it all right. You know, and especially in a situation with the husband, again and again and again, you have to continue to do that. The next thing is um, you set the tone in the home. Women set the tone in the home. I mean, there's, if mama ain't happy, nobody happy. And um, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. And we speak sweet words, speak gracious words. Um, we can change the tone in the home. Proverbs 21.1, you do your part and let God do his part. This applies to any authority. This is an amazing um, maxim, I guess is how you would say that. The king's heart is a, stream of wa- is, is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord's. He turns it whatever way he wills. He wills. The stream of water and is in the hand of the Lord just like a king's heart. So, I mean, a river, a stream of water, okay? God moves it. And how does, how does, you know, we see it in the Grand Canyon, perfect example. Through time and pressure, rivers are formed. And they push through and they overcome and they, they go wherever they want. I mean, water, I mean, we're flooding in Des Moines, flooding in North, North Dakota from the melting of the snow. I mean, the river just goes where it wants. And um, it moves through time and pressure. And most of the time, whether it's my boss, you know, my friend's husbands, them to my friend's husbands, um, they'll say, you give me the time, Lord, and I'll put on the pressure, you know, and we'll make it happen. But the Lord's like, no, you, you give me the time. You give me the time, and I'm going to put on the pressure on them and let, it, and let them move their, their hearts. And we need to respond appropriately, you know. I've had bad bosses, challenging, difficult, hard bosses, and my, my job wasn't to tell them how awful they were. My job was just to, to do what I needed to do, you know, submit to the situation, and God would move their heart. Or God would move me, because it's not a covenant relationship. You know, God would move me. But I know that if I'm not doing right, if I'm complaining and I'm grumbling and I'm nagging and I'm, I'm not being obedient, he tells me to do one thing and I go off and do whatever I want. I mean, God cannot, he sure can't get involved then. But we just give it, you know, we just give them any excuse to just keep on meddling. So, he turns the river, he turns the heart, the king's heart like a river channel. The next thing is to be steadfast. To be steadfast. This is over in James. James 1, 2, 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So when difficulties and challenges come into our life, whether it's through a marriage, whether it's through relationship, whether it's through work, you know, we need to understand that, okay, I'm going to count it joy because my attitude is going to be right in this. Not, I'm not joyful for the thing. I'm going to count it joy because of the fruit that's going to be born from this. I mean, and I did not suffer anywhere near as many people did for Ike because I was out of town like most of the time. I never had to sleep with no air conditioning ever or anything like that. But I can remember the Lord really brought this verse to my mind a lot during Ike, you know, There'd be struggles, there'd be difficulties, it'd be hard. It's like, I'm counting it all joy. You know, flights delayed, you know, had to drive back and forth, couldn't get gas, 
you know, lots of different, left my passport, and I had gone to Canada, and I got in, but then I couldn't get out. I mean, you know, I'm counting it all joy. I'm counting it all joy. Because if I count it all joy, my faith is going to be tested, and my faith is tested, and I pass the test, and I'm steadfast in that, then I'm going to, I'm going to be complete and lacking nothing. And so, and unfortunately, we don't learn. I mean, I wish we would learn better. I wish I learned easier, I guess, easier for me. But the only way I learn is through difficulties and through hard and through diff- trials. That's the only way we learn. And we can either buck against the trials or we can say, okay, why don't, I've been around this, you know, I've been to this intersection before. What do I need to learn and how can I be steadfast in learning those things? And then right after that, James 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. So we need to seek wisdom from God. Seek wisdom from God. And he'll give it to us. He will give it to us. Profound. He, he, want, he longs to give it to us. He longs to give it to us. And then finally, seek good teaching or teaching from godly women. You know, the older women that have walked through this path, gone, on, gone through this, you know, you know, if you're married, look for a godly couple, you know, that you can have, just like Paul. Christ follows, I mean, Paul said, I'm following Christ, so you follow me. You know, um, if you're single, you know, look for godly women. Look for godly older men. But you look for couples, too, in that same way that, you know, when the guy comes along, you can say, okay, mine is Ron and Pat Riley. Okay, Mr. Ron, go to lunch with him. (laughs) You know, ask him those things. Ask him those hard questions. Be my protector, you know. If you have godly parents, then they can serve that role as well in that situation. So... And, and the godly women to help you walk through those kind of things. Because what, again, all this stuff, it's not rocket science. It's, ext- it's I mean, it's, wor- it's harder than rocket science. It's harder. You know, rocket science is a precise, specific, you know what to do. It's either going to work or it's not going to work. This is not precise. And this is not, you know. And it's unique and different for each individual because it's unique and different. Yesterday when I was talking to this woman, you know, she was saying, you know, she wanted what her husband wanted from her was totally different than what another husband wanted from his wife. And it's like, you, you know, don't compare here. You know, you can't compare. You know, do <coughs> what God is calling you to do with your marriage. And don't look at this other marriage and say, you know, because that's why I think it says submit to your own husbands. Because it's easier to submit to somebody else's husband than it is to submit to your own husband. So, anyways, any questions, comments, thoughts? You know, and it goes back to that verse I did read. If you're married, stay married. If you're single, don't seek a husband. You know? Which is hard. Which is hard.